Unlock your Bible. Discover the true meaning of life. Learn the cause of world problems and the astounding solution. Prove for yourself what the future holds. In the Trumpet Literature Library, you will find answers to life's most important questions. Explore these vital titles on Trumpet Bookshelf. Welcome to Trumpet Bookshelf. I'm Grant Turgeon. Acts chapter 8 records possibly the most important religious confrontation in the Bible. You'll notice that a major theme of the Bible is a great war between God's one true church and a mighty counterfeit church. Well, it all started here in Acts chapter 8. Notice Acts 8, starting in verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spoke, hearing and seeing the miracles he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. That's Acts 8, verses 5 through 8. Philip was a faithful deacon everywhere he went. In Samaria, preaching God's word, miracles took place. People were healed. People were joyful because they finally got to hear God's truth. Demons were removed from people's minds. What an incredible testimony to the power of God's Holy Spirit and God's truth. So basically, this city of Samaria was transformed in a good way when Philip came into town. But notice here something that happened. Acts 8, starting in verse 9, But there was a certain man called Simon, who before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. So the Samaritans, before Philip arrived, were deeply deceived, bewitched by a sorcerer named Simon. Simon Magus had a stranglehold on Samaria before Philip arrived. And really, it was all about drawing attention and gaining followers for himself. He was not trying to serve the one true God. He was trying to get a following and amass power for himself. It was all so that the people would think he was some great one, the great power of God. Now, this is just a crucial passage in the Bible, Acts chapter 8. And notice how it continues. Verse 11. And to him they had regard because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also. 
And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs that were done. We have a, a really good book available to you for free at thetrumpet.com, The Holy Roman Empire in Prophecy. And it does talk about Acts 8 in some detail. But basically, Philip here did not have the authority to lay hands on people so that they could receive the Holy Spirit after being fully baptized underwater. So Philip did the baptizing part, but not the laying on of hands to give people the Holy Spirit. Even Simon, during this time, was baptized, and he kept on following Philip around, observing how Philip was performing miracles and preaching the true doctrines of God. And then not too long after this, the ministers came into town to actually lay hands on the people who were baptized so they could receive the Holy Spirit. Notice Acts 8 verse 14. Now, when the, the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet it was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So that's up through Acts 8, verse 17. Peter and John, laying hands upon the masses who were baptized, praying over them so they could receive the Holy Spirit. Now, all of this was amazing to Simon Magus. He was awe-inspired. He saw a wonderful, in, in his eyes, a wonderful opportunity. He was an opportunistic man. Notice Acts 8, starting in verse 18. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Spirit. So <laughs> Simon was giddy at the prospect of receiving real power. He already had a lot of the devil's power to work false miracles, to bewitch people, to control people's minds. But he saw that the Holy Spirit was superior to anything that he could do, to any power that he possessed. He wanted more power. And he was willing not only to receive the Holy Spirit, but to pay so that he could give the Holy Spirit to anyone he wanted to. Now, God's Holy Spirit is not for sale. God's truth is not for sale. Simon's wrong motives were exposed when he tried to offer Peter and John money. Acts 8 verse 20, But Peter said unto him, Your money perish with you, because you have thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. 
Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I perceive that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. So, Acts 8, verses 20 through 23. This is probably the most scalding rebuke in the entire Bible. Peter said, why don't you bring that money you're offering us to your grave? It can be buried with you when you die. Shame on you for trying to pay for the power of God's Holy Spirit. He called Simon wicked, and he said, you should repent just in case God is able to forgive you. That's how severe Simon Magus's sin was and how deeply entrenched in sin he was. Peter wasn't even sure that Simon Magus could ever be forgiven, that he would ever repent to be forgiven. Now, Simon Magus basically had ingested mental poison. He was enslaved to Satan. And he just wanted the Holy Spirit to try to enslave more people, to exert his dominance over more people. Now, all of this being said to Simon should have really shaken him. Peter's rebuke really should have made Simon pause and think hard and be humbled and repentant. Simon Magus really should have gone immediately into private to pray. Instead, he said, Acts 8, verse 24, Pray you to the Lord for me, that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. Simon Magus didn't even care to pray on his own behalf. He didn't want to put in the effort to pray for repentance. And of course, he wasn't repentant anyway. He wanted Peter and John to pray for him. He offered Peter and John money to receive the Holy Spirit and the power to give the Holy Spirit to other people. Now, both of those things, having someone else pray on your behalf so you don't have to pray, <laughs> and also offering money for spiritual favors, both of those practices are still commonplace in religion today, particularly in one massive church with over a billion followers worldwide, paying for the ability to go from purgatory into heaven, praying for indulgences, or paying for those, I mean, <laughs> paying to go from purgatory into heaven and paying for indulgences, going to confessional, confessing to a priest who will then do all the praying on your behalf, or he'll just assign some ritualistic, repetitive prayers. These are traditions still in place today, and you could see the foundation of these traditions in false Christianity 
founded by Simon Magus right here in Acts chapter 8. Founded in Samaria, the capital of the northern nation of Israel. But what happened was the northern nation of Israel went into captivity to Assyria. And at that time, the Israelites were replaced by Babylonians. Notice 2 Kings chapter 17. We have to understand, where do these Samaritans come from? These Samaritans of Christ's day, thousands of years later, nearly an entire millennium after the captivity of Israel as well. These Samaritans were actually transplants into the area. Simon Magus was one of these transplants. This is something that the Assyrians commonly did. When they would enslave and deport a certain group of people, they would bring in a totally different group of people to live in that same location. Now, you can prove from history that Israel went into captivity to Assyria from 721 to 718 B.C., and that is really the time as well that the Samaritans were put into the land to replace the Israelites. Second Kings 17 talks about the Sabbath breaking and the idolatry of the Israelites. Those are the sins mainly that God punished them for by sending them into slavery. Notice 2 Kings 17, verse 17, one of the abominable sins of the Israelites. And they caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire and used divination and enchantments and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Eternal to provoke him to anger. The Israelites were practicing child sacrifice in worship of false gods. They were practicing sorcery, just like Simon Magus, hundreds of years later. So, really, the Israelites succumbed to false religion. They were punished by going into captivity to the Assyrians from 721 to 718 BC, and really the Israelites never returned to that land. You can find out where they went by requesting a free copy of Herbert W. Armstrong's book, The United States and Britain in Prophecy, at thetrumpet.com. But then, basically, the Assyrians put these Babylonians into the land to replace the Israelites. And basically, these Babylonians, these what would become Samaritans, were practicing the same kinds of pagan religion that the Israelites fell into. So at the time of Christ, going into the turn of the millennium, the Samaritans were still around practicing the same pagan, abominable religion that the ancient Israelites were practicing before they went into captivity. Simon Magus was just one of these Samaritans, and he took charge 
he was trying to amass a following for himself as a great false religious leader. So you can trace the false religion of Simon Magus hundreds of years back in time to when the Assyrians transplanted Babylonians into the land of Israel. But you can even trace this false religion of Simon Magus back much further. Genesis 10 describes a mighty hunter against the eternal. Genesis 10 verse 9. Nimrod was mighty. He was a big, strong man. The people naturally looked to him. Notice Genesis 10, verse 10, And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Erech and Akkad and Calneh in the land of Shinar. Verse 11 shows that he built Nineveh, or Asher did, and basically under the direction of Nimrod, following the example of Nimrod. But these cities began to develop just a couple generations after the flood. Noah and his three sons and their wives and Noah's wife survived the flood by living on an ark for months. And when all of the life, the animal life and the human life was extinguished from earth, Noah and his family touched down on the mountaintop on their ark. They got off the ark and they started to repopulate the earth. But the problem was animals, which were also on the ark, repopulate much, much faster than human beings. And so basically a lot of animals, a lot of wild animals greatly outnumbered the human population. And it wasn't long before the people sought safety. Nimrod had this idea to amass people behind these great walls of cities. He invented cities to protect people from the wild animals. But once all the people were living inside the walls, they were also under Nimrod's control. And Nimrod could set up an entire false religious system, political system, economic system, however he wanted to do it. And Nimrod did become a tyrant who put himself in place of God. Notice Genesis 11. This is one of the projects of Nimrod. Genesis 11, verse 4, And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. You see, just like with Simon Magus, Nimrod wanted to be great for himself. He wanted to be thought of as God as the human being on earth in place of God. He wanted to be worshipped. Is there a great, powerful religious leader today who considers himself 
in place of Christ, who wants people to look to him and whatever he says becomes more binding than what the Bible says? Is there a church today that says their traditions, their customs are more important than the teachings of the Bible? Nimrod was trying to make himself a name. He was trying to be the people's God. And just like the ancient Israelites who went into captivity in Assyria, Nimrod practiced child sacrifice as well, worshiping the sun, moon, stars, creeping things, and sacrificing children to these inanimate objects that they treated as gods. But ultimately, Nimrod was the people's god. It's just shocking to understand this history, tracing all the way back to Nimrod. You could even trace it all the way back to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve chose the wrong tree, and all humanity has been going their own way ever since. But from the two trees to Nimrod and the Tower of Babel to the Israelites being deported from their land and replaced by Babylonians and that Babylonian religious system established by Nimrod to Simon Magus and his confrontation with the chief apostle Peter of God's one true church and all the way up to today, you can easily spot where this great false church is today. They have the most followers of any church in the world, and they do sell spiritual favors, and they do have a human leader who exalts himself to the God level. They do have a ton of unbiblical teachings, like the immortality of the soul, the Trinity doctrine, and on and on it goes. This is all explained in depth in our free book. Again, you can get it for free at thetrumpet.com. The Holy Roman Empire in Prophecy, Chapter 1, is called The Origins of the Roman Catholic Church. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Trumpet Bookshelf. You've been listening to Trumpet Bookshelf. Please email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for new episodes every Friday at 10 a.m. Central Time.